And I find that most faith groups need interfaith engagement to understand not only each other, but figure out where there's unity of mission and, and, and discuss other issues. Welcome to Crossing Face, where Christian and Muslim talk. Religion and politics, now we're uh, the largest multi-faith podcast. Uh, we were the first podcast for the Christian and Muslim uh, discuss religion and politics. Um, but now we're we're uh, sort of moving into another space with the, being the largest multi-faith podcast. Uh, today we have a, a special guest, return guest, Father John Anderson, and we're on the, the eve of uh, a meeting a, a few weeks away from the International Religious Freedom Summit, something that I was uh, um, key in helping start uh, and, and work pro bono to help get it going, uh, but have been involved in the International Religious Freedom space for most of my, my 25 year career. Um, but uh, today we're going to talk uh, with Father John, and he was going to, we're going to, this is the first part of a series. Where we're going to talk about the international religious freedom movement and uh, where it's going and what's happening today. We are going to discuss a little bit of the history, as well as uh, some of the the interesting facts about where religious freedom uh, is going in, in a formal sense. The international religious freedom is going. So, Father John, welcome. Thank you. Good to be back. Yeah. So uh, the the office looks much more organized. Than it has been in the past. I uh, got it painted, so I had to organize it. So I'm not sure if that was a compliment or if that was an assassini, you know, gently putting the blade between my ribs. It was an observation, um, you know, I, I because I know that you had a uh, um, you had an indoor swimming pool, um, in you know, for a while in your basement, and I know that was a um, but you tried it out for a little while and it didn't work. Yeah, it, it did work. I'm not a, a good plumber. So when I went to seminary, plumbing was a, a series of courses I failed. Then my seminary, plumbing, everything. Like that. That's it. Hey, you gotta, you gotta keep the doors open and lights on somehow. <laughs> so I think what, over the summer you had a flood down there and it was, uh, I remember, I remember the call. Yeah, no, it was, it was ugly. So the uh, today, my understanding is we're covering, uh, I'm going to be interviewing you and asking you some questions about the International Religious Freedom Act, IRFA, your experiences in the sphere of Earth in uh, Washington, D.C., with uh, different nonprofits and the U.S. government. And so where would you like to start? You're, you're, this was an interesting concept because you said, "Well, let's flip it. We'll flip it on me, and you'll interview me." So we'll, we can start with IRFA, um, the International Religious Freedom Act of 1998. Uh, uh, Congressman uh, Wolf, Frank Wolf, was a key player in that. It basically, you know, it it said that Amer founding principles of our country are one of the founding principles of our country is international religious freedom and our religious freedom, and as such, we should project it globally. And and that's essentially what that piece of legislation does it it makes the the bold statement that we should be projecting it internationally um it it set up a couple of things one it set up the united states commission for international religious freedom a quasi-government institution uh where uh you would appoint 
uh, commissioners. Uh, I think there's five commissioners, and there would be staff that supports those commissioners. And essentially, it's it's what I mean by quasi. It's it's what you said. What United States Institute is for peace, for war, right? So they weigh in on on warfare, weigh in on conflict. Uh, you serve the United States Commission for National Religious Freedom is to religion, right? Religious freedom, and then. There, it, it also opened up an office at the Department of State, uh, the International Religious Freedom Office, and established a position, uh, the uh, ambassador at large for International Religious Freedom, which is uh, an assistant secretary equivalent, and then also a position at the NSC, the National Security Council, and then a series of peppering of special envoys for particular regions. So that's, that's essentially what that legislation did. Uh, and it allocated some funds, but not a lot. Uh, and it it also um, defined what international religious freedom is. And and put simply, it's the freedom to believe, to not believe, to change and choose. Of course, that verbiage isn't in there, but that's essentially what it is. Uh, and so, uh, and it did keep uh, conversion out of it. So coercive conversion, predatory proselytizing, or um, uh, uh, conversionary tactics out of it. Uh, that's a, that falls under freedom of speech, which is why when you see sort of the Jehovah's Witnesses out there, they can they can they can set up uh, their 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 little station outside of a, uh, of a, a subway station, but not inside the subway station. It's because it's a, a, a they, it's a, a, a freedom of speech issue but you can't be like sort of captain waddles and so but that's essentially what it what it the, the origins of it of IRFA, the international freedom act and uh and some of the justifications and and kind of in a nutshell what it is you're muted buddy so explain now if you would your involvement with the Earth Movement uh, locally, and then will expand your experience abroad. So, I mean, m most of my international history work has been international. I, 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 I rarely intervened in domestic religious freedom issues. One is because I think it's healthy living and breathing. Uh, Although there might be some controversy, uh, I mean, certainly politics, and uh, I think what the definition of religious freedom is, because <clears throat> um, there's what what, what, what there, there's there's groups now that are trying to define religious freedom, and uh, they're trying to broaden the term of of what persecution is, and then therefore they walk they their freedom of religion is in jeopardy. Um, so a lot of that is, you know, for, for example, the, the ability to um, sell products to those who you agree or disagree with. Um, and, and so the, the, there's the controversy with the bakery that would sell to, um, to particular populations because of their sexual preferences and so forth. Uh, I mostly have stayed out of that. Uh, I think that we have a judicial system and we have a constitution and we have uh, statutes that and people that weigh in on that from a legal perspective, and so that's kind of out of my purview. Uh, doesn't mean I don't have opinions, 
But uh, most of my career, so I, I started, I started getting caught in heavy with with international religious freedom when I was at the American Islamic Congress, and that that started with the formation of the International Religious Freedom Roundtable, which is an uh, a, a non entity. It's a it's it's a it's a gathering of uh, a multi faith gathering, and and you would have two meetings. You would have a meeting where uh, you civil society would meet, uh, and then you'd have the second half of the meeting would be uh, government uh, and uh, like agencies and institutions and 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 political figures. Uh, that's that's that was in two that was in two thousand nine. I, I wasn't a founding individual, but the American Islamic Congress was a founding organization, and so uh, uh, and 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 so some of these institutions have evolved into something different. Uh, the International Industry Roundtable will talk about that maybe a little bit later. Um, but uh, but I felt that uh, at the United States houses the most diverse Muslim population on the planet. You know, multicultural, intra-ethnic, intra-faith uh, population, and therefore, um, as one of the core tenets of Islam, uh, the idea of there's no compulsion, and and there's a, a series of other Quranic verses and uh, and also uh, hadith and ways in which the Prophet peace be upon lived and the Sunnah that demonstrate that religious freedom or freedom religion is or component uh, of dignity in the human person so in Islam. So therefore, uh, Muslims should be uh, taking a leadership role. And so I positioned, spent quite a bit of time positioning the American Islamic Congress uh, to um, participate not only in the International Industry Roundtable and help forward it, uh, form it, have events, uh, on on the hill, we ran the Capitol Hill Distinguished Speaker Series, which focused a lot on religious freedom issues. We uh, led the reauthorization of USERF, the United States Commission for National Religious Freedom, which was securing the funding. Uh, we 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 went engaged one on one with uh, um, oh God, what was that congressman's name? Uh, uh, Durbin, uh, Congressman Durbin, who was holding some funding because he wanted to open up a prison. In uh, in his home state, so we we hammered him and, and, and went through to the media, ran a media campaign and civil society campaign, and was very successful. We got authorization, a big thing. That's uh, and uh, and then I've, we've advocated for individuals, um, whether they've been uh, Muslim, Christian, um, Baha'i, Zoroastrians, uh, all over the world, uh, for if they were prisoners of conscience or there was religious freedom issues. They would come to us, and we ran a lot of the back end. So that was the, the sort of start of my um, formal work in international religious freedom. Would be somewhere around two thousand eight, two thousand nine, and uh, we we sort of arc at the American Islamic Congress uh, all the way to twenty fifteen and uh, and twenty sixteen, and. So going from 2016 to 2024, which is where we are now, what have you been doing in the area of international legislation? Well, I felt that through my, my experience at the American Islamic Congress, that interfaith or multi-faith, it's called interfaith at that time, uh, 
um, engagement. Now it's called multi-faith engagement. Well, it's pretty helpful. So you know, we had our the roundtable would be uh, we set up subcommittees. We we helped this all the form bureaucracy and formalization of some of these things. But uh, I felt compelled to look at uh, international industry and differently um, from a more operational standpoint. And so there was a lot of multi-faith engagement where you would have a dais where you'd have a Christian and a Muslim and a Jewish guy would all be sitting there and they'd be representing the entire faith. And so there wasn't a, a situation where you have a dais where you'd have you know five Christians discussing their faith or discussing issues and how their faith and how their the differences and similarities and dialogue of, of how things work. So I, I spent uh, 10 years since it, it engaging Ummah, well, from, from about uh, one of my, one of my, one of my reasons for one of the elements of my job at the American Islamic Commons, Congress just to go out was going to pray with different, with all the different members of the constituency, the, the American Muslim, the global Muslim community. That and, uh, and so I, with all the diversity there, I felt compelled to start engaging the community to see what was going on on the intra-faith uh, uh, agenda. And I find that most faith groups need an intra-faith, intra-faith engagement to understand not only each other, but figure out where there's unity and mission and, and, and discuss other issues. So in 2016, I, I formed, uh, uh, Muslims for Muslims International, which focuses about 80% on intra-faith engagement, operationalizing of the Iman message, the first organization to do that, uh, and uh, which the Iman message was a conference of the Ullah where they discussed religious freedom issues and then issued out the uniform fatwas. And so we 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 operationalized uh, the Iman message. We operationalized uh, civic engagement and dialogue from an intra-faith inspection uh, perspective and, and religious scholarship by everyone, practitioners, professionals, scholars, theologians, and, and, and the list goes on lot students. And so since then, 2016, we've, we've, we helped, uh, we were one of the, uh, I was one of the individuals that helped start the ministerial, which was the, the first international religious freedom uh, gathering of ministers from all over the world. Uh, hey, with it. JT, if you can clarify what ministerial you're talking about. Well, the first ministerial happened in 2017. And um, who hosted it? And it was hosted by uh, the U.S. Department of State, Ambassador Brownback, um, who I helped uh, work on his appointment. I, I worked on the murder, the murder list file. Uh, the murder sheet, which is like when you're testifying the items that might come up. Um, he was the first non-theologian to be uh, uh, an ambassador at large for international religious freedom. The, the the legislation that 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 created that position was Earth International Religious Freedom Act of 1998. He was a pluralist who happened to be Catholic, and it was it was an amazing moment in time to, for his appointment because. It's the first time that will never happen. Um, when Gentile theologian, you didn't have a, a priest or a rabbi in that position. Um, and so uh, uh, we helped with that. We helped with the starting the ministerial, first ministerial, which was 10 years of the making. That was a, we had tried to do that before. Um, uh, and 
Ambassador Brownback took the mantle of that, of that idea and held uh, the first ministerial to the Department of State, which was a, a week-long event uh, focusing on international freedom issues uh, and also reinforcing uh, the core tenets of, of IRFA and then sitting down with ministers from all over the world and discussing how their uh, governments can, can start to facilitate uh, the same agenda to uh, advocate for uh, dignity of the human person and individual rights. So that was that was that was the ministerial, and it was a gathering of civil society ministers from all over the world, State Department uh, bureaus, as well as um, other stakeholders like Congress people and uh, and uh, and agencies from all over the world. And it was a success, and it's happened every year. Um, one of the one of the things that has happened as a result of that is that it's been jettisoned from from the U.S. government. It was held in Poland uh, and, and, and England and the U.K. And so it's strange because you want to have uh, a force multiplier for the, for the International Religious Freedom Act and for the programming, but then when you jettison it to another country, it takes another form and you lose the, its constitutional uh, it tethers a little bit, but you actually break its constitutional justifications for the United States. And we're the only only country for under, under the auspices of religious freedom. So the interpretation of what that means changes. And maybe that's not a bad thing, which is why you have the, minis the ministers from other countries. But when you, there's no tether, when there's no control, and there's no um, uh, element that reinforces such a value that is a founding principle, it becomes something else. And uh, now the ministerial happens and it it's questionable on what the outcomes and outputs are. Um, Can you, could you clarify when you say the ministerial happens because you had uh, accurately defined it as something that was started by the United States government department of state and then ended what is the successor to the U.S. State Department ministerial that you're speaking about? Well, the ministerial still happens. There's another entity, uh, another event, that something that was born out of that was, is called the Earth Summit, the International Freedom Summit, which Ambassador Brownback, when he left his position because of the change in regimes from the Trump administration to the Biden administration, he, he is his position. There's a new ambassador at large for International Freedom. But Ambassador Brownback, Ended up taking uh, sort of the the idea of 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 the ministerial and open and starting uh, what's called the International Stream Summit, which we're heading towards. Um, I was I was on this the, the, I worked pro bono on on helping form uh, the the entity uh, the entity uh, and and the event uh, way back in the day. Uh, Peter Burns and Ambassador Brownback and, and essentially brought people to the table to help out. Um, but uh, multi-faith, by some of my events, multi-faith contacts. And they still are on the steering committee and so forth. But um, now you have a summit uh, that happens where, uh, which is, like I said, an appendage of the ministerial, uh, which which happens every year. And they discuss religious freedom issues uh, on, uh, there's different events, lunches and so forth. It's usually three days. And that's happening in a few weeks. You know the, the 
which, which, like I said, the, the, the original question was, what have I been doing since then? These these elements have informed. Um, we've been advocating on our international religious freedom issues. Uh, we've been uh, and and working on legislation. We've also been working with uh, prisoners of conscience all over the world. Uh, so I'm trying to think of what else we've been doing. Right, we're writing a series of articles linking international religious freedom to dignity of the person and you know, some scholarly papers on what is and what isn't religious freedom, how religious freedoms measure. Something profound happened in 2011, 2012 with the Pew Institute. Pew did research on what was religious freedom around the world. And they found out, first of all, they defined that 80, 70% of the world is, is faithful, 80% of the any percent of them are persecuted. And that number has been going up every year. Um, and so, uh, and there's, there's some issues with that because the rubric is from a Western perspective. So what we considered religious persecution and what wouldn't is 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 a little bit adds some blind spots and that's something that I've been working on very passionately is contextualization of internationalism freedom. I also was a uh, court player in in securing a four point nine million dollar grant to uh, through the Lilly Foundation for the Religion News Service and Foundation to make sure that there were trained professionals to report on religion and when up. Uh, when a media firm wants to cut their budget, they don't cut the sports announcer, they cut the religion reporter. And so then they'll have somebody who's not in religion reporting. Uh, so the idea was to fortify religion reporting and and portion of the funding went to the AP, the Associated Press, to hire religion reporting. Uh, another portion went to start the conversation, which is a podcast that's kind of turned into kind of academics and nerds uh, talking about stuff, not practitioners. And uh, and then a portion went to the Religion News Service Foundation to to help um, increase their operational capacity. Um, although they've been become, become very partisan in the in recent years. So, um, can you explain me what you mean by partisan? Well, they've ah, it, when it comes to when it comes to a news service when it comes to media. The, the the items that they pick on, uh, pick to report on, um, and how and how they report on them are 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 really start to shape what people hear and what people listen, listen or what people hear and what people know. Right. So the intent of the grant was to fortify um, religion reporting globally because if you don't have any reporting on events, we we don't know. <laughs> And if people don't know how to report on events, particularly faith groups and stuff like that, then we don't know what's happening. It's a core part of measuring religious freedom, religious persecution globally. So if you're focusing only on specific issues like domestic issues, uh, uh, abortion, um, uh, or uh, um, LGBTQAI communities, that all that stuff should be reported on, but it shouldn't be the only thing. Uh, and so... You know, there's 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 a heavy focus on religious community are 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 items that that are sort of religious adjacent, uh, and then it's it's a religious it's a religious discussion because a community a community may be against uh, a lifestyle like LGBTQAI, but that's not the only issue, um, and there are other religious issues, and that and and it may be two things might be right at the same time that 
community that might be against LGBTQAI might be being persecuted by a government. So, and they're, they're, them that that community weighing in on LGBTQAI might might be relevant from a a news grabbing perspective, but they may not be even interacting with the LGBTQAI community. So it's 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 it or their frequency might be so low that it's not significant. So there's there's challenges there, and so that's what I mean by you know following some of the partisan issues. Um, I think that there is a, um, what we do know is by every rubric that we have, international religious freedom is, is being challenged everywhere. Uh, this is one of the, the, the routine talking points by the advocate, uh, that, that it increases every year. And one of the things, and I'll sort of end with this as part of what are we doing? One of the things that we've been focusing on is the narrative that since IRFA, religious persecution has gotten worse. And so the answer is, the question is why, right? So, um, and so that's one of the, the area, big areas that we've been focusing on. It's not only is it near and dear to me, it's a founding principle of our country. It's a founding principle of who we are. And it's, it's very concerning when religious persecution is on the rise, yet we have all these mechanisms and all this funding available.